It has happened. Luis Rojas has been fired as Mets manager the day after the disappointing 2021 season came to an end. Hallelujah. We discussed the Rojas firing, the top candidates to replace him, and recap the Mets' 77-win season. We also examine the Mets' own free agents, who stays and who goes. It's all next on the season finale of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to a season finale edition of Amazing But True. Our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Catch up on all episodes you may have missed from this season. Give us a five-star rating right in a nice review. This is it. It's Jake Brown here alongside my co-host, former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing But True, at Jake Brown Radio, at Figgy NY. And no guest on this season finale as we take you into the offseason. And, and boy, Figgy, you know, we were happy Sunday because they put us out of our misery. We Everyone was saying it's a great day for New York sports. The Jets win, the Giants win, the Yankees win. The Mets season is over, finally. And then we wake up Monday to even better news. We didn't really wake up to it. We actually were sitting here minutes from recording, basically looking at each other, you know, some final thoughts. Before we uh, say goodbye, some some tears were shed. As we're talking, we get the notification right before we start. Luis Rojas, he gone. He is out. The Mets put the statement out there. We knew it was coming. We were hoping, like we said in the last episode, it would happen before we record the season finale. Otherwise, we just would have had an emergency show later in the week. But Figgy, the Mets have tweeted, the club will not pick up the option of manager Luis Rojas for the 2022 season decision. Regarding the remaining coaching staff will be made over the next several days. We have offered Rojas the opportunity to remain in the organization in a TBD capacity. Figgy, this is the only decision you could make. He had to go. He underperformed both years. The first year, you give him some slack. It's 60-game season, COVID. But this year, this Mets team was far too good to only win 77 games as they finished 77 and 85. And there was no other decision to make on Monday. But to let Luis Rojas go. Yeah, but quite honestly, is it his fault? Is it all his partially, fault? Partially. Yeah, no, but, and what and what what ratio would you say it's his fault? 50%, well, of course, 20, I, I don't know. 10, 10? Even if but even if it's 10, 10 Figgy, that's 10 games you win that changes the standings. I In mean, 2 years, 10%? Throw last year out the window. We're just talking about this year cuz the full season. Oh, but if they made the playoffs and won the World Series, you would have been like, "Oh, why? we can't throw out last year." They had 2 years where they underperformed. They had a better roster. Yes, they the Correct. Players. I they, get it, yes. but you can't fire players. You you could do things in the offseason to change the roster, but the coach gets the accountability, and time after time, we saw decisions made that cost this team and were done by the books instead of by feel, and I'm not going to go through it again, but Rojas underperformed, Figgy. I, I think if you had brought him back, there would be a, a very large portion of the fan base that would be extremely frustrated going into 2022, no matter what they do this offseason. If he was the guy in charge, there'd be a lot of fans frustrated. He worked his way up. He's been with the organization forever, but the feel of the game wasn't there. He didn't play in the big leagues, and I think it was the right move to make. Honestly, in this day and age, what you're looking for – new managers or managers who have proven track records. And those are very hard to find the new metrics, uh, the new way that front offices are built, the analytical teams and everything else that's involved with what 
they do in preparation for ball games is totally different. I am of the ilk that too much information is too much. And it's an overkill at some point because then you lose the human element of feel and of being able to see what's happening in a game, see a guy's face and read his face, read his reactions. When you ask him questions in the dugout, those things don't get put into mathematical equations. Probability changes greatly from day to day, from at bat to at bat, from situation to situation, especially uh, when it comes to crunch time and big moments in ball games. I would say at least six players, six players, hitters, underperformed this year greatly. Not just kind of had off years, underperformed greatly to the tune of your top five RBI guy had, what, 54, you said, Dom Smith, 54 RBIs? And he's in your top five for RBIs for the season. And you were a team that was expected, as they did last year. Last year, they led all of baseball in hitting. And this year, they couldn't hit their way out of a paper bag if there were guys on base. The little things, the fundamental things, the things that you grew up learning how to play this game, those are seeming to change with this new approach of swing hard, go yard, and the launch angle and everything else. All those things happening at the same time lead you to trying to find a manager that can do more than just read off of the playbook. You know, at football all the time, the greatest coaches, all these new coaches that you keep seeing that are, you know, the offensive coordinators and the defensive coordinators they get head coaching jobs and they never do any good do they they're really good at what they do but they never do good overall management of a team and there's a reason for that right there's becomes years of experience it becomes years of of doing things it's not just a playbook it's not just a scheme baseball is not football in that capacity you can't just have a scheme and have a a system quarterback kind of thing and be successful it doesn't work that way in baseball i'm very concerned because this is more than just a managerial thing this is top to bottom organizational thing that has to change and i think you know in the very first year uh, of new ownership, I have more questions now than I did before he took over. And I'm not blaming him in any capacity. I'm not blaming new ownership in any capacity, but I have more questions at the end of this season than I did at the end of the last offseason. Well, yeah, of course. And, you know, Dom was third on the team with 58 RBIs, which is, yeah, which, I mean, if you don't include Baez's total numbers, of course, since most of them came with Chicago. Yes, underperforming, but I agree. A lot of question marks because you had a lot of these guys who underperformed, like you said, like Conforto is a question mark going to the offseason. Do you give them the qualifying offer? Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, two guys that were locks to be staples for this lineup offensively for years to come, Figgy. Both may not be on the team next year. Jeff McNeil, you got to think about trading in J.D. Davis, same. If J.D. Davis can only play third base and not do it great um, and be a pretty good hitter but not hitting the clutch, then what's the point of bringing him back? That's a guy that you don't even know what their trade value is. We'll talk about that in a bit. But, you know, the, the manager in the end gets the fall, and maybe it's not fair, and I get it. I know people are saying, oh, he, he probably deserved to come back, but he's a victim of circumstance. I get that, but he stunk. I don't care if the people liked him. Of course they're going to like a guy who doesn't hold anyone accountable and is nice. Of course you're going to like the nice guy that leads the charge. There's no question about it. I don't need to hear that, though. I don't need to hear he was nice. We really liked him, and the players really liked him. The team stunk two years ineptitude, and this is by far too good. It should have been on paper a, a much better team than they were, and I get guys underperformed. But you need a manager that has a championship caliber to him. And now when we talk about names that people are talking about, you know, you do get Carlos Beltran as a rookie manager, but he did play the game. He's one of the greatest center fielders 
of all time. Everyone raves about him, and he was a Mets manager for what? Can we get the total, Sarah? Can we look up look up the total number of days that Carlos Beltran was manager before he got let go? And Alex Cora is back, and guess what? He's managing a playoff game on Tuesday. So he's doing just fine. Guys are back managing from that Astros team. Carlos Beltran didn't really get a fair shake. I think it's a move that would excite the fan base. He might not. He's not the most experienced guy. I get that. You know, he doesn't have the experience, but everyone raves about him. He was a great player. I think we'll see more of a feel for a game from Beltran. I don't think he's going to be all about the numbers like Luis Rojas was. And listen, this is a weird, you know, search here, Figgy. There is no name that's by far better than anyone else out there. You know, if Bob Melvin were to leave and that that rumor of the Billy Bean as president, Bob Melvin manager package happens, fine with that. Bob Melvin's a very good manager. But other names out there, Ron Washington has managed, Braves third base coach. Buck Showalter is one of the popular names, but I don't know if if he translates with this new era of baseball. I'm not sure if he's the guy. Carlos Mendoza, the Yankees bench coach. Brad Osmus, Joe Espada. I mean, none of those names you're like, oh, my God, you need them. Beltron is one that might shake things up, might excite the fan base, and is a unique hire that was already here, so he has some comfortability already, obviously, with the organization. Is there any of those names that intrigue you? Does Beltron intrigue you? Is there any favorite to take over for Rojas? For me, Beltron is the guy that I, I, I like the most, and it doesn't have to deal with his coaching or managing experience at all. Espada would be a guy that would jump right in with Beltron on this coaching staff. Espada was a coach of ours on the WBC teams forever, so he has a long track record of coaching and being a part of Yankee teams in the past as well, so he's a guy that probably would be a third base candidate all the under Beltron even though you would probably interview him anyway if you're Bob Melvin why would you leave Oakland I agree you're not getting yeah. fi- he's not getting fired you know what I mean he's not get- is he getting fired from Oakland really and Sarah says eight days Beltron was the manager here yeah does that sound right that's what this article is saying eight days yeah eight days sounds about right that's at least eight days until the story came out so yeah yeah no you know what was funny about that is that it, it literally happened we were in fantasy camp and I had just saw Beltron and Rojas and all those guys and Bam Bam was down there and Chili Davis all those guys were down there and we had just met up with them, uh, all the fantasy camp coaches saying hi. They came in and talked with the guys for a little bit. We're there for two weeks. <laughs> Within those two weeks, he was gone. And we were left scratching our heads like, oh, my God, look how quick that came down. But you knew MLB had to do something about you know any kind of cheating type scandal. And the punishments were dealt out. And people, again, were hired back. A difference that a manager makes, look, Alex Cora wasn't an all-star caliber player, but Alex Cora was such a good player for a long, long time. And he was a smart player and he watched the game and he understood the game inside and out. He was in the front office in winter ball with Caguas in Puerto Rico. He was again with the WBC teams. He was a leader there as well. And th- those are the kinds of things that it, it has to start somewhere. You're not going to find Tony La Russa was given an opportunity. I kept always saying this. Tony La Russa, Tommy Lasorda, those guys were given an opportunity. Even though they weren't great players, they were given an opportunity to manage and learn how to manage. And they changed the game uh, of how to manage b- baseball games. The game itself has changed over the past five years, five, six years in a way that no one could have ever foreseen. The whole not being able to slide and take people out at second, no taking out the catcher at home plate. All the different innovations that are being put forth changes the way that you can manage. The three batter rule changes the way that you can manage. So why would you leave that as a, a, a roadblock for a managerial candidate where the game is constantly evolving and changing anyway? So to me, Carlos Beltran was already hired. He's a guy that instantly 
the fans would rally behind. And I do believe, will there be some growing pains? Absolutely. But I'm telling you that I've watched it firsthand from when he was in the dugout. While, you know, we're playing games, he's constantly talking to the coaches, talking to the manager, getting information about situational things that happen, watching who's warming up and asking questions probably why, you know, the which which had, batters are coming up. There's a lefty and a righty, so both guys will be warming up. He's getting all that information. In 2008, so he knew he wasn't going to play forever. He knew, but he's such he's such a, a student of the game that you could see those wheels turning, even when he was with Houston. It was like having an extra coach who was a player, and that's kind of what led to the scandal, right? <laughs> they were like, well, what, what could we do to, to see the game the way you do? Oh, well, put a camera in center field and look at signs. Th- that could happen, and it did. But so you saw such- it 14 years ago. I mean, when you Absolutely. were his teammate, you saw it, so, you know, and that was in the prime of, you know, the Mets get him in 05. That was the prime of his career. You saw it way back then that he had manager instincts in him as his teammate. The only perspective you could get right here and amazing but true from an old teammate uh, so you saw that early on, Figgy. Absolutely. Him and, uh, you know, another guy would be uh, Carlos Delgado. Carlos Delgado, he was the guy, remember, everybody talked about, oh, he had a, kept a notebook on everybody. He had the information written down where it wasn't just handed to him. He lived it. He experienced it. He had notes that he could go back to against, you know, every time he faced the guy, what pitches he uses, what arm angle he used, what kind of breaking ball he had. So he was always about that information. Those guys shared that information constantly and it helped them, you know, be the best that they could be. So when you look at players that come to mind that kind of had that kind of mentality, you could see most of those superstar players, though, these days, They've made too much money. They don't want the pressure. They don't want that kind of thing. To get someone like Carlos Beltran to say, yes, I want to manage in New York. This isn't like managing in Kansas City, you know, where you can get your feet wet a little bit and see how it goes. He jumped head first. He didn't just put a toe in and say, let's check it out. He said, you know what? I want to do it in New York. He realizes what kind of a team this is. He realizes the core, the young core, especially two years ago. The young core that you had in that pitching staff, of course, he was excited to to jump in on that, to have an opportunity to do that. If they're going to revamp so many things, I say he's the best guy for the job. And Figgy played on both sides. You know, people forget that he was a Yankee 2014-2016. I mean... He's been on both sides. He was has eight days of managerial. If we ever talk to him, and I hope we get him, you know, as your old teammate, hopefully, you know, we're back amazing but true next year and talk to him and just say We're not back either. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Uh, if not, we if not, we are available to be co managers. <laughs> amazing but true. Managing the Mets. You see me yelling in the dugout. You see me like cutting a piece of chicken parm secretly in the dugout. Like, how this fat ass like, eating the like dugout? How, like how Keith Hernandez is hiding the cigarette and smoking it. Jake's eating chicken parm <laughs> in the of the dugout. Figgy's like yelling at me for something like that has nothing to do with the game. Like we're just mm. yelling at each other. Uh, no. We wave to we wave to M Rod in the suite from the uh, dugout. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I the guy that I always I I gotta admit I have dreams sometimes wow. that I. What's the movie? Is it uh? What's the manager? Of the what's the movie? Where the kid manages the twins. Uh, Little Big League. Little Big League. I I've hundred percent had dreams of like me being a. <laughs> it sounds corny and ridiculous, but I've had dreams of being the Mets manager one day. So uh, Mets, uh, I'll send you uh, my resume. What would what Sorry, would be your Post, first uh, order of business, Jake, as Mets manager? Chicken parm ooh, for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, Chicken Parm Fridays. <laughs> Forget Black Jersey Fridays. First 25,000 fans get a Chicken Parm Hero, and we get an Italian restaurant as a sponsorship. 
and that'll bring the forget the comedy shows let's bring in the the food and i would just i would flip a table opening day i'm flipping a table if they lose i'm flipping over the chicken parm even if you win even if you win set the tone set the tone set the tone we only won by five we only won by five yeah exactly the the early list is pretty funny by jim duquette here because it has todd zeal on it on sny it seems like that's just to maybe boost Zeal's ego. Todd Zeal is not the next Mets manager. Joe McEwing's another interesting name that's on that list uh, who has some coaching experience. John Gibbons is an, another name, uh, managing experience. Eduardo Perez was one of the finalists. He's a he name. one of the finalists as well. That's another guy that I think would work well in, in, in a conglomerate with really? that okay. coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Clint Hurdle, Miguel Cairo. I don't think Miguel Cairo is going to be a guy, but any thoughts on McEwing? Did you play with McEwing at all? Or you played against him? I played right? against, I always played against Super Joe um, and a, a huge competitor. I, I loved him as a player and, and even playing against him and watching from the other dugout. That guy did whatever it took to win ball games. Again, I think it's going to be, you know, you're going to, spread a wide net of interviewing people, but it's really hard because he impressed them enough to get hired two years ago. It's, it doesn't make any sense that they would, and they interviewed all these other guys as well, right? So what has changed in those two years? Those other guys haven't managed anywhere to have managerial experience. So I, I think, think you, if you put the staff around him is what's important. Of you course, know, you, you of put course. A first, like Steve Nash, example, NBA, he had D'Antonian experience mm-hmm. assistant at coaches. If you put, you know, a Clint Hurdle or Ron Washington, Around Beltron, it's only going to make him better. I mean, the Mets coaching the staff coach first time. Dave Jowls is awesome, though. Yeah, Jowls was good, but but Hefner, like D, D- Sarcina and Hugh Quattlebaum. I know he's an f- intern, but if you put an experienced staff around Beltron, it's only going to make him even better. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what would happen. That's what has to happen. If you can have somebody that will, you know, be able to be in Beltron's ear a lot. We saw that from Cora. Cora did that his first year managing, trying to just, it's not a situation where you know it all. You know a lot and you're learning a lot, almost on a daily basis. And, and I think you could see the difference between Boston in the last two years. No Cora last year, and they were the worst team you know almost in baseball practically and then you see this year and they came out firing on all cylinders if it wasn't for a COVID stretch that decimated the team they probably you know are right there maybe not being the the race but they're right up top and comfortably getting in and not waiting till the last day to get in and having a one game playoff like the, like they are uh tomorrow so it, it can be done and it will be done there's enough names out there you're gonna interview a lot of people and see if anybody knocks him down a peg but for me right now he's he's the leader you need a cojones higher you need to show that you got some balls and you got to excite the fan base. You know, Rojas was an out-of-the-box hire. It was the guy who's been in the organization, he's in the minor leagues, but it didn't get anyone excited. They got to get this. They're focused on the excitement of comedy shows and doing things at the ballpark. Well, how about you do it on the field first? And it starts at the guy that leads you. You know, I'm seeing on Twitter a lot of people saying it's an impossible hand that uh, that he was dealt with with all the injuries. Injuries are a part of the game. You have to overcome certain obstacles, and he didn't. So all the excuses got to go out the door, and you got to make a hire that's going to get these fan base pumped and make sense. So what's what's our list here before we move on? Is it? I, I guess it's Beltron, Eduardo Perez, Joe McEwing. I mean, Bob Melvin, assuming Bob Melvin doesn't leave He's Oakland. He's not is going that- anywhere. Why would you? 
Is that your top three? Is Hurdle on that list? Hurdle is it? You know, he's had experience for Listen, a while. Is he? If on you that go, list? if you if you go with the three experienced managers, that's Hurdle, that's Gibbons, that's Buck Showalter. Probably out of those three, uh, one that has the Mets ties is John Gibbons, and John Gibbons has always been a good manager. I've been a fiery manager. There came a point in time where you know the analytics were a big thing, and, and you know I don't know if that led to his demise in Toronto, but that kind of manager kind of got pushed out of the game. I, I talked with Buck Walter, what was it, last year, uh, two years ago, when, you know, his name kept coming up. And he kept saying that people keep saying that the analytics are a big thing. We had analytics. We just didn't call them analytics. They were the numbers. We knew the numbers. We knew how to read the numbers. You know how to look at a, a stat sheet and read what guys do what, you know, and, and how to and how to attack certain hitters. You see a guy's a, a big-time doubles hitter and doesn't hit a lot of home runs. Well, that means he's a contact hitter. You got to pitch him more inside, not let him use the barrel of the bat. If the guy has a lot of stolen bases, well, don't walk him. How about that? If he doesn't get on base by, by you walking him, then make him earn his way on. There was all these different things that it didn't take analytics. It didn't take a team of people who didn't play the game to tell me how to play the game. And for a manager, it's the same thing. Yes, I like having this information. This is cool. Like I wouldn't have to know everything about everybody. You're giving me all that information. That's great. But I know what I need to know for this ball game and for who you know the pitcher is, the starting pitcher for the other team is tonight. Let's start with that. Because in baseball, that's as good as your team is going to be. How good that starting pitching is on that given night. And with the new baseball, what does that matter anymore? Because you're only going to see that pitcher two times through the lineup. And by the fifth inning, you're into the bullpen. It used to be, let's get into the bullpen. Every night you're into the bullpen, no matter what nowadays. So that's something else that I think needs to change for a team to have success is you have to find guys who can pitch deep into ball games, guys who can go a third time through the lineup and give that bullpen a chance to rest and not be firing on all cylinders every single day instead of maybe two two or one game of the series where you have to make sure that bullpen is on. Carlos Beltran. <laughs> I missed the chance of that at Shea Stadium and into City Field, and now we await what they will do. Manager, what they will do with the coaching staff, we'll hear that in the coming days. Quattlebaum, I mean, it's a lock he's gone. Hefner is going to be the one interesting one, whether they keep him or not. But it seems like everyone else is probably gone. I assume they want the new manager and a new president of baseball ops. That's another thing that happens this offseason. Is it going to be Billy Bean? Is it going to be Theo Epstein? Is it going to be someone else like a churnoff? When it happens, we will be here for an emergency, amazing but true, when they hire a new manager, when they hire a new president, and when they get a big player, big players. And talk about that in a second, the offseason. But, Figgy, let's just kind of do a state of the union from each one of the, us on the 2021 Mets here. I'll start with frustrations, uh, a team that was great at home. They were so good at home, so fun to watch, so many walk-offs, so many great moments with guys you've never heard of from the Mazikas to the Khalil Lees. They had so many guys step up through all those injuries to a point where we were in first place for 90 days, 103 days to be exact. The 103 days gave you hope. And it was like every time if they lost a series, you're like, oh, we're still in first place. We're still in first place. And then obviously in August that ended. But this was an underachieving team, even with the injuries and DeGrom being out. I felt like they had enough talent, especially adding bias that they should have been in the playoffs. It was a down year for the division, the break 
Braves kind of ran with, away with it the last few weeks, but not really. The Mets were very much in it until the final couple of weeks. No one really pulled away, and that's what made it more frustrating. Uh, a lot of underperforming guys that were frustrating. Now you're worried. Do you think about Conforto coming back? Lindor in his first year, while he ended up with 20 and 63, 230, and is not cutting it. Uh, Jeff McNeil coming off a couple of years ago being an all-star, just terrible, was frustrated out there was painful to watch him every time he you know he'd get out he's slamming the bat dom smith while he's 58 rbis basically lost his spot to play it was frustrating james mccann turned out to be a terrible signing he stunk they had some good bright spots where marcus stroman walker at times the bullpen at times aaron loop was good but some big blown saves from edwin diaz despite a, a decent season and overall luis rojas pissed me off a lot i'm glad he's gone but overall figgy there's not much positive to take from this season they sh- they're better than a 77 win team so as we head into the offseason we're hoping for a fresh start you know a fresh roster fresh manager fresh president of baseball operations and with the negatives being said i am hopeful for the future with the core in place with alonzo with a lindor improving maybe bias back with the there's good pieces in place for me to be like all right this was bad. This was ugly. But with money and a write-off season, 2022 could be good. Well, I, I think of it in a little bit different light. I know the organization has a five-year plan for this team to be a contender. And I think the new baseball, you have to realize what you have a lot quicker. This team could have been much more of a contender and in play, especially in a down year of the National League East than they thought of. And I think that that August run against the Dodgers and Giants was really their downfall, of course, uh, not being able to win more games against them. And, and they, you know, they tried to bounce back and get on the Nationals and Marlins, but it was already too late by then for me. Not having DeGrom was a huge uh, letdown for everybody, for the bullpen, for the starters, for, for the team itself. I think that if you wanted to, and you talk about having to do things that are not part of the game plan, going for it at the time where you were in first place, putting pieces in place and going to get guys and backing this team in a way that was not foreseen would have done that. And if it's only money, why not? Why not go for it? Why not put uh, the best team that you possibly could put out there? And if you get your pieces back, and if DeGrom comes back, and Syndergaard, and then all of a sudden you are in a surplus of riches, a la the Los Angeles Dodgers, who went and got Trey Turner, even though they had Corey Seager coming off the IL in two days, they didn't sit back and say, ah, let's see what happens. And yes, they are in a wild card playoff. But still, they're in the playoffs. If you wanted to, you could have. And I just think that it's not just on the players. It's not just on the manager who, you know, is getting fired and all the blame is going on. But it's a top to bottom organizational thing. And if you're in this situation, again, because I swore in my heart of hearts that we've seen this happen before. 2015, we didn't have a first place team. And they went out and they got three pieces right away. Three, four pieces right away that helped this team in a major way to make that push. And it was early enough that they could make that push. So maybe they didn't lose 10 of the 12 of the the, uh, 14 games against the Dodgers and the Giants. Maybe they only lose six Seven. And then they're right in the thick of it, still going down to the, sh- the, the home stretch of the season. You know, it, it's it's always real easy to blame and point the finger at one person, but you forget that those the other three fingers are pointing back. That's something that I think as a first year group that's together, ownership, uh, the whole front office as a core, the whole new analytical department, which is so robustly built, that all has to go into account as well because they have to look in the mirror and say, did we do enough? Well said. They, We've said this. They, they really didn't. 
other teams did, and the Mets got the worst end of it. You tweeted out trying to get a, a few tweets from the fans on what they thought of the season. Ernest Dove said, I'm somewhat ready for the shakeup that for better or worse needs to include fan favorites leaving via free agency or trade. The 26 men, even when mostly healthy, is not apparently the right group, especially offensively. Good point there. You know, it's a lot of guys, fan favorites, guys who are part of 2015 or 2016 and that you like the Confortos, McNeils, Doms, but you're like, it didn't work. Like as much as we like the guy, there's only so many like, like guys you can keep going with. They got rid of one with Luis Rojas. You're going to have to make some difficult decisions. And that might be saying, all right, Conforto, you're a nice guy. The ladies love you. I love you, but you didn't do enough, so you might have to go. So that's going to be the president of baseball operations. Not going to care, though, what the fans think of Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, and Michael Conforto. They're going to come in and try to make this team better. So this is going to be a very you know emotional offseason for some of these Mets and some of their teammates. Base 718 said, I'm excited for the shakeup as this current group can't even get into the postseason. Ernest said, we, we can still explain away the season with injuries and down years, but all in all, probably not wise to trust too many of them bouncing back together. And then M. Perry 99 said, baseball's we- weird, man. If you would have told me last November that the Mets would have added Lindor, Bias, Hand, Loop, and Walker and still missed the playoffs, I would have said you're crazy. But here we are. That's a great point. I mean, when you look at those guys, Figgy on paper, they added all those. And Hand was a shell of himself, and they only had him for you know six, seven weeks. So I, I wouldn't really throw him in there. But when you look at this p- team on paper when healthy, it's unreal that the division winner was 88 games and the Mets had 77 uh, when you look at this team. It's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it is, and, and there's no way to candy coat it. The players and, and some of the guys that are supposed to be the guys you're counting on are saying the right things. They're, t- they're trying to take the blame. They're taking the onus, and it's about accountability. You've heard Lindor say it. You've heard even Pete Alonso, who easily is the team MVP. He, he did what you thought Pete Alonso would do, get close to 40 home runs and close to 100 RBIs as long as there were guys to drive in. You know, Pete would have his opportunities, but Lindor wasn't on enough. Nimmo wasn't healthy enough. Uh, Conforto wasn't Conforto enough. Um, And so it left, you know, a guy like Pete Alonso with a lot of guys to drive in. What could it be if you had those guys just having their normal type years in front of him? You know, he could easily put up 115, 120 RBIs. The tough thing, you're at a crossroad as an organization. Even though you've had this five-year plan, we've been beating this drum for five or six years already. So as a fan, uh, you know, Steve Cohen's been a fan for a long time. As a fan, yes, you've seen some of these names, you know, and it, it does make it difficult. But I think you throw out some qualifying offers to everybody. If they don't want to stay, then that's on them. Nobody knows what's going to happen in free agency. It's always, it's been a downward trending free agency for most players, unless you're a superstar. And quite frankly, if you were a superstar, you wouldn't be batting 220. And so guys like Conforto and, you know, others that are having an opportunity to leave, you know, maybe have to think twice and maybe the grass isn't always green or maybe give it one more go for one more year uh, uh, with a group that you know and you're comfortable around and you don't have that kind of stress that you couldn't handle on your way out is the new stress that you have on the way in when you're not getting paid nearly what you thought you were worth. Uh, 18.9 million is a pretty good uh, fallback plan. I think there's a lot of fallback plans in this world that aren't nearly as nice as the uh, qualifying offer. Yeah. They got to call the qualifying offer, the tremendous offer, because I mean, it's a lot of money, 19 million and people make it like, Oh, it's, it's a one. I mean, it is a handsome payday for that one year for usually someone who's probably worth less than that, but is getting a good amount. All right, we'll wrap up Amazing But True in the season finale and send our thank yous next. And we also will go through the Mets free agents. Do they stay or do they go? That's next on Amazing But True. 
All right, we're back in Amazing But True. Let's let's run through quick the Mets free agents and quickly just say whether you think they'll stay or they'll go. Let's start with Marcus Stroman, Figgy. I think he goes. I, li- I thought he had a good year. I like him, but I just don't know the Mets are going to go all out and pay him. But I do hope he's back, but I have a feeling he goes to the Cubs or somewhere else. This is one of the guys that I think it's not all about the money for him. I think he can see a little bit more, like I was saying before, about if you succeed in New York, there's more than just what you're making uh, for your salary. There's endorsement opportunities, there's business opportunities, there's networking opportunities like never before. This is a guy who grew up as a Met fan, who has an opportunity and knows that the ownership group likes him, knows that he's probably going to get paid pretty handsomely. And where else would you want to do it? I, I think for the first time in a long time, here's a player that's not just, it's not a Zach Greinke where they ask him, uh, so why'd you pick the Dodgers? You know, you have the social anxiety and you don't deal with big crowds. Why the Dodgers? And he goes, they offered me the most money. That was his answer. Straight up. So I don't feel like that's Stroman. I know he wants to be appreciated, so you're not going to be able to say, hey, take $10 million and 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 you'll be fine. It's not going to be that. So he's going to he's going to get his money's worth, and I think ownership as well will give him his money's worth because he was an exceptional after 2020 and, 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 and you know not being available this year. He backed it all up. He kept saying, you know, we would be a, a contender and we, we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. He held up his end of the bargain every fifth day and, and pitched – uh, tremendously, you know, they, they, you see all the tweets out there about how he uh, even pitched better than Garrett Cole, and Garrett Cole's making three hundred million dollars. I, I know he's not going to be in that ballpark even a, for a figure, so that's why I think he's an interesting case, and I think he does have that mentality that I would love for a player because I think for a player, for a coach, for a manager that has put on the uniform and you've played for New York or you're from New York, it matters more. It's not just a, it's not just a paycheck. You know, it's, this is something that you really care about. So I think that's something that Stroman brings to the table. Yeah. I hope he stays, but uh, something about it. I just think he's gone. Michael Conforto, another guy wouldn't mind staying figgy, but the whole goodbyes and things, it almost felt like he's gone. We know who his agent is. It's either qualifying offer or bust. I'd say they don't give it to him. And Michael Conforto plays elsewhere in 2022, which makes me sad. It makes Mets fans sad, but there's no time for sadness. We need better players, marketable players in this game. And, and, dynamic players are what you're looking for. Conforto is one dimensional as far as, you know, he is what he is. He's a right fielder. He is supposed to have been a 300 hitter. We've never seen that. Supposed to be a 30 home run guy. We've seen that once. Um, You know, he's supposed to be a guy that's in the middle of the lineup. That's a fear and a clutch kind of hitter. We've never really seen that guy. And so if I'm looking at that, I'm going to have to pay somebody. And I'm sure the next guy that we'll talk about is probably Javi Baez. Uh, I'm going to have to say, if I got to pick between Michael Conforto and Javi Baez and one of them getting money, it's going to be Baez because I think you get a lot more return on that investment. Yeah, that's the next guy, Javi Baez. Uh, I agree. I think they're going to give him an offer. The question is, will he take it? But gun in my head now, I'll say Javi Baez stays, Figgy. I think he he, he can see it on the, the writing on the wall as well. Ownership, they have the money. They can see what he brought to the table in every aspect of the game, power, defense, speed, just the the swagger was different. And and the thumbs down thing that kind of put him on the map with Mets fans more than ever before. That's where, you know, this guy took a stand. He took a stand and said, listen, if we're all in this together, then you got to be with me. You're either with me or against me. I think you have to respect that in a lot of ways because all he did was back it up by playing hard. You cannot say anything about him not playing hard. And you saw the diving plays he made. It's gold glove caliber defense. It's an exciting brand of baseball that is surely missed. When the station-to-station baseball that we're seeing – 
this is a guy that can do so many things to find a way to score runs, especially for a team that couldn't score runs in the middle of that lineup. All right, next on the list, Brad Hand. I mean, I don't really care. <laughs> I don't think he'll be back. He didn't really do anything special. But what do you think? Is, is they, they bring Brad Hand back? It's up to Brad Hand. Honestly, I think, you know, he's he's still a lefty that just two years ago was, you know, outstanding. But I think if they start looking into the spin rates and spin rates are, are very different between his breaking ball of two years ago and his breaking ball that we saw that was so hit or miss uh, with the Mets. Yeah, they'll make him an offer, but will it be something that wows him and makes him want to stay? I think for Brad Hand, he's got to find someplace that kind of accepts him for who he is and, and he can feel comfortable in because if he's going to be bouncing around, he never thought in a million years he'd be in three teams in one season, let alone, you know, not in the same place, getting a multi-year offer. That's why free agency is so tough. All right, two guys will just package together. I think they're both gone. Della Batanzas and Jairus Familia, Figgy. I, I see no way you bring either of them back. Well, Batanzas is gone. He's just, the health issues, you wouldn't risk any any amount to, to bring him back. Uh, Jairus Familia was much more durable. You know, he had some high points. He had some low points, but it was a usage thing. They used the absolute heck out of him because whether you're winning or losing, he he was in the ball game, so it wasn't like a closure type situation. He's only going to be in if we're winning. He was in every kind of ball game that you could think of, and he had some bright moments. He had some terrible moments. One of the things that I think not a lot of people know is while Aaron Loop was a godsend, Aaron Loop, uh, I think the percentage that he had of um, inherited runner scored, which is the most important thing, right, for a reliever coming into a game and and getting out of a jam. Aaron Loop was thirty four percent of the runners that were inherited scored, which is ninth in the National League, 10th in the National League was actually Jerry's Familia at 35%, 35.5%. So he did his job when called upon. How many times can you say a victim of bad luck? We saw broken bats, bad play, blooper after blooper. Things like that seem to always happen to Jerry's Familia, but his stuff, I think, still plays up. And if you can get a team-friendly discount, I like him in the back end of the bullpen. I'll pass. I'm I'm ready to turn the chapter on the Familia era, I think, if you want to you know, start moving on. It's time to move on from Familia. Although you're right, he wasn't terrible, but I, I'm just the name itself. I'm just like, all right, can we can we stop with Familia? It's just enough. Uh, you mentioned Aaron Lou. What if I we called him Familia Parmesan? Yeah, except for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Aaron Loop, I think we're in lockstep here. That should be one of the first things you do this offseason is to sign him. He put up a historic year, and God damn it, give him a Bush Light sponsorship too. <laughs> I think that's a two-for-one special right there. It's a no-brainer. And for Loop, it's the same thing. He seemed very comfortable being in New York. A lot of guys can't handle that pressure. He thrived in it. It would be great to have him back, but he's in the driver's seat. So uh, the offer was going to have to be – not just competitive, but you're going to have to show him a little bit more just to keep him around and not let him walk, especially go over to the Bronx. Oh, don't let that happen, please. Uh, a couple intriguing names here. Noah Syndergaard, you know, people got excited. He struck out a couple of Marlins. Well, he faced some big leaguers on Sunday and struggled in his uh, second inning as people were going, as I said, goo goo gaga. Let's see a little bit more of him. But Figgy, I think we're, I think might be in lockstep here that they'll probably give him the qualifying offer. You don't want a Zach Wheeler situation to happen again. And I think it's, it's a lock that he would take the qualifying offer. Yeah, qualifying offer. I think he wants to go out on a better note than not pitching or pitching two innings in the last two and a half seasons. He has to show some durability, have to show that he can do it. And I think he wants to do it with this group still because he's so young and he's had such a good career thus far. Him showing that he could pitch at the end of this gives teams maybe a little uh, enough to say, you know, we'll take an, a chance on him. Give him a three-year deal. Give him $15, $16, 17000000 kind of like a Nate Avaldi situation because what if he gets right 
in the next offseason and he comes back being the type of pitcher that he was the first three seasons four seasons of his career all right the vr pilar combination i like both of them back if pilar could be your fourth outfielder again and vr is your you know fifth infielder your backup infielder if you can get them both on a good price i think vr is going to get better money than he got this year the three and a half million and and Pilar might get around the same as the three million he got, but I'm perfectly fine with bringing them both back as bench players. Yep, I think the package of VR Pilar <laughs> are coming back, uh, or well, will be offered the chance to come back. Um, and why wouldn't you? Both in the clubhouse, both uh, the way that VR plays the game, and you bring him in off the bench, he can do so many different things. His versatility um, is what made him stand out this year. But it's going to make him attractive to some other teams as well. So if you know a team like the Dodgers or Giants comes a calling and they want a veteran guy who can do all those things, his price tag has just gone up. All right, I'm not going to utter the names of Jared Eichhoff and Cameron Maven, who are free agents, and Heath Hembree, although he wasn't terrible. I don't think those three are going to be back. The last name on this list is an intriguing one. He's the oldest one, Rich Hill. I'm fine with him being a fifth starter, maybe a depth starter if you can. Uh, otherwise, I'm good either way with Rich Hill. Rich Hill, God bless him. He's made enough money to kind of pick where he wants to be a fifth starting pitcher. If you're not going to get much opportunities or, you know, you got David Peterson coming back next year, you're still going to have Taiwan Walker. If you get Stroman back, he's more in a wait to see kind of category. And he's probably a late signing. If Taiwan Walker was a late signing as young as he is and as well as he did last year, then Rich Hill is going to be a late signing. Like spring training's already started kind of thing. And uh, hey, we need an extra arm kind of a great season you know a fun a fun show we did the catch a story live show that we did the catch fundraiser podcast as well i think it was good to be back in the ballpark this season it was good to you know get involved with the fans it was good to give out shirts thanks to so many great guests we had omar manaya mike puma terry collins doc gooden friend of the program uh, the Pinstripe Pod, Chris Sheeran, Jeff Nelson, Glenn Close. We had Ty Burrell. We had Hank Azaria. We had Joe DeMeo. We had Daryl Strawberry, Art Shamsky, the KFC and Clem from Barstool, Howie Rose, John Jastrzemski, Soboda, Darren Meaden, Ken Davidoff, Wayne Randazzo, Justin Walters. I want to make sure everyone gets their love. John Neese. Pat Mahomes was a great guest. Steve Serby joined the show from the New York Post. Ray Ramirez was a good interview. Bobby Valentine, the future mayor of Stanford. R.A. Dickey, listen to that one. Bill Pulsifer, Susie Hunter, Jerry Blevins, Zach Braziller, Colin Cosell, Jesse Orozco, Howard Johnson, Sal Licata, Lenny Harris, Wally Backman, Rick Peterson, Al Leiter, and Ed Coleman, and Mookie Wilson. That's the list. Fun year, Figgy. Yeah, listen. And there's no other podcast that can uh, even come close. And that's our second year list. So if you go back and listen to our first year or look even at our first year guest list, there's no other podcast. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they are. I don't care what publication they represent. No one can touch our guest list. And uh, our content is second to none. Our perspectives are unique because we're not just talking from afar. We go to ball games. We sit there with the fans. We sit there. Well, we sit in the suite, but we sit with the fans and we watch the games and we we're able to commiserate. Um, and we're able to also, you know, kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and see that this ownership group is going to try and do everything possible to bring a winner to Queens. And, you know, you have some players here now that are feeling the same way and want to make that next step. So hopefully that these two things can come and be put together. And uh, year three, we could be uh, doing more podcasts and not ending uh, the first week of October. Yeah, it'd be like year two and a half, basically, of next season. And thanks to Sarah McCrory and Brian Mungia. 
Uh, fun times. I know, Sarah, you had a blast uh, listening to us rant and rave, even if you are a Yankee fan. Yeah, thank you guys for allowing me to uh, troll you and keep you humble. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hard yeah, thing enjoy, to do. It's a, it's a big... enjoy your big enjoy your big run in October. Enjoy, enjoy the big run, the one game. Uh... <laughs> Oh, go go Yankees. Good for business. Go pinstripe pod. Uh, so yeah. thanks everybody for listening. Follow along and keep you know, we'll keep you updated on Twitter about when the next show will come and the search for a manager begins. That says adios to episode ninety two of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Sarah McCrory, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow on Twitter as well, at Amazing But True. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We will be back for special off-season episodes when the Mets find a new manager, president of baseball ops, and any major signings. Thanks for listening all season, folks. We appreciate your continued support, and we'll talk to you soon.